This morning's scripture comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me there. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 24. Uh, Together we've been uh, studying the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Um, And and this is a a little bit of a cheat week, but I think Jesus intended it this way. Uh, We'll we'll be reading three parables uh, back to back to back. Uh, that, that, that are under the, the same umbrella of teaching in the same setting, Jesus teaching to the same group of people. And so uh, we're going to read them in that way, Luke 15, beginning in verse 1, and we'll follow on through verse 24. Uh, you might notice uh, as, as we read also that uh, the, the, the last parable does uh, continue on, uh, but what we're just going to uh, end in verse 24. Let us now hear the word of the Lord. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Which of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, parable number two, What woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors and saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then Jesus said, parable number three. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So the father divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. When he would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating. And no one gave him anything. But he came to himself and said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare But here I'm dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he did that. He set off and he went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. 
put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and now is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they began to celebrate. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. So we give thanks to Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, we celebrate the gift that it is to gather together around your word and to allow your word to speak truth and wisdom, life and peace into our very hearts. We ask, O oh God, that you would be present with us in this time by the movement and power of your spirit. Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, open our ears that we would hear, open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word. And indeed, your ultimate will open our hearts so we would feel its power. And by your grace, I ask, O oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All of this begins with Jesus hearing the grumbling of the Pharisees and the scribes. You remember that in verse, verse 1, verse 2, at the very beginning of this passage. Uh, Jesus is, uh, in fact, this is a little bit different scenario than what you might remember from others. Uh, you might remember when Jesus eats with sinners. Uh, particularly, you might remember when Jesus is eating with Zacchaeus, and uh, they grumble about that because he's eating with sinners. Or you might also remember when Jesus is eating with Matthew, Levi, who, who he calls to follow him as his disciple. Uh, we might have that in Mark chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Uh, it gives a depiction of that scenario. It says, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and the whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them, and he was walking along. He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And when he got up, he followed him. And then as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw uh, that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have come to call, not the righteous, but sinners. So, so this, is, this is something that echoes through our, our, our our, our biblical understanding that Jesus comes and, and he meets with the woman at the well and he goes and he reaches out to, the, uh, to, to, to heal the lepers uh, there uh, that are at a distance and, and he also meets with and eats with sinners. But this is a little bit different scenario because in the Gospel of Luke here, at this stage of the process, all the disciples are called. Jesus is, he's right in the middle of this like ongoing repetition of parable teaching, which we've been studying. Jesus is teaching a parable and moving to the next space and teaching a parable and moving to the next space. And it seems like this is kind of the pattern of his ministry at this point in time. And here we find the sinners and the tax collectors are coming to him. This isn't even a scenario where he went to them. They're coming to him. And, and, and we, 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 we might not have the same uh, lens to hear and receive sinners and tax collectors the way they would have. See, see, sinners, that's an easy one. We have the same lens. A sinner is a sinner uh, of which we are one. Uh, but tax collectors for them uh, would have been people that you could assume were sinners. You could assume that a tax collector was corrupt. 
Now, you might have that same assumption today. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, uh, but that was the, the sultry and cultural norm of the day. Is you say sinner, it's a direct uh, reflection. You say tax collector, and it's someone that you can assume was a sinner. And so Jesus is gathering with people that are sinners or that you might as well just assume are sinners. But, but, but here, he didn't go to them. They're coming to him. And even still, even after they're coming to him, the Pharisees and the scribes are still complaining. Earlier in the gospel, he went to them and they complained. But now they're coming to him and they're still complaining. What are we to make of this? And so Jesus, Jesus uh, builds a response, but, but he builds a response in a very intricate and, and profound way, and he does it through the use of parable. And, and, and sometimes, uh, you, you might be able to relate to this, sometimes you, you need to say multiple things to say one thing. As a preacher, I could really relate to that. My staff gets on to me for how long I take to do the announcements. Pretty soon we're going to try to give that to one of you so that I don't do announcements anymore because evidently I say three things in order to say one and it just takes longer. I say it's in the pattern of Jesus. And so we will, um, um, but that's what Jesus does. Jesus has one address he needs to make to one particular issue that people are raising to him but he needs to say three things in order to say one. I grew up listening to a pastor named uh, Tom Pace. He's now the pastor at St. Luke's Houston. Uh, when I was growing up listening to him, he was the pastor at Christ United Methodist Church in Sugarland, and uh, and and I loved listening to Tom Pace preach. Uh, it, it's it was a conversational, uh, engaging. Uh, uh, relevatory way of, of teaching and, and one of the things that he did as he, as he was preaching and I loved watching it because it seemed like every Sunday I got to pick it out it seemed like as he was talking as he was preaching uh, you would see his mind click and he would be going down this path saying this thing and it's like he was like ah and then he would go over here and say this other thing that continued to make the same point he was making but it's like in that very moment the Lord told him if you would say this it would make that better uh, and, and, I, and I feel like maybe there's a little bit of that in what Jesus is doing here because it's after he finishes one parable, it's like, oh, but there's a nuance that that doesn't communicate. And then he says, okay, now I'm going to teach this parable. And he's like, oh, there's a nuance that that doesn't communicate. And, and, and it's not like any one of them communicate the whole, but all three of them together communicate something incredibly profound. So uh, we're actually going to look at all three of them in each step and stage of the process to understand the distinct differences that they bring, but all truth, all truth. The, the first thing that we're going to look at is we're going we're to look at the, the, the fact that uh, there is a different why, a different why for each of the three different situations of lostness, right? Th there's a different reason why all three of the lost become lost. The first of the parables is the parable of the lost sheep. Now, oftentimes when we study the lost sheep, we study it in isolation. And so we think about it, we think about, oh, there's 99, and then there's one, and, and, and this is this crazy situation, and Jesus, uh, Jesus goes after the one. And, and, and we might not think about the fact that the one is lost because of a propensity to wander. And I think to myself, this, this wandering sheep, did this wandering sheep, uh, 
What was that in the sheep's nature? Did the shepherd know that this was the sheep that wanders? Like th- th- this sheep is part of the fold and, 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 and the shepherd knows the heart of the sheep and loves the sheep so dearly. But, but this, the shepherd is always having to take the, the crook and, and bust the sheep in the backside to put it back in line, right? This is the sheep that wanders. And so then the sheep wanders just a bit too far. And, and, and wanders to that point that, that now the sheep finds himself or herself lost. It, it, it might even not be that they intended to be lost. They not, might not have been looking to become lost. Uh, they might have just taken a step and said, oh, that grass looks good. And taken the next step and said, oh, that grass looks good and not have even realized that the whole flock was going in a different direction. What is that situation of this one that was lost and who all does that relate to? Sometimes you, you, you end up lost and you can't even recall the moment that you were lost. You just look up and realize you're no longer found. The environment's changed. Those around you have changed. And it wasn't with any great intent that this took place. But nonetheless, you find yourself lost. The second parable is the parable of the coin. And the parable, uh, others call it the parable of, of the widow and the ten coins. And, and she has ten coins and she, and, and she drops one. And this one coin is lost. And, and I, I, I love this one and how it ties into this situation of lostness. Uh, a coin actually doesn't ever experience anything uh, because it is inanimate, correct? Uh, it is, in fact, a coin, and so the coin doesn't, doesn't know, but the coin in and of itself just falls. It never knows it's lost. It never knows it's found. It just falls. It just is broken. We can all relate to that when it comes to lostness. Sin, temptation, brokenness, each and every one of us has experienced that. And, and, and for, for every one of us, there is something in us that, that, that it seems to be a struggle that we've always had. Maybe there's an issue with pride or an issue with honesty or an issue with gluttony or whatever it is. There's something that's always been there. A lostness that just has been as though it was part of our very created order. You know, at the very beginning uh, uh, of creation and Adam and Eve and the fruit and the snake and the fall, here in this second scenario, there was just a fall and the coin was lost. The third scenario, the scenario of, of why, why lostness, it, it's, it's one of absolute uh, uh, individual conscious decision. You, you see there are two sons and, and, and one son goes to the father and says, I'm ready for my inheritance because you're, you've been doing it your way and now I want to do it my way and I believe my way is going to be better for me than your way has been for me. I want control, conscious decision to go out on his own, to do it his own way instead of the father's way. 
How many of us have experienced that kind of lostness? Absolute defiance to the will of the Father. Father, I want your blessing. Uh, I want your inheritance. But I'm going to deal with your inheritance the way I want to deal with your inheritance. And I want you to have no control, no say, no input on me or mine or my life anymore. So he's lost. You see the difference in the lostness? These, these three scenarios, it's like, it's like Jesus tells a story and, 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 and there's, there's one who wanders away and he's like, oh no, but not everybody just wanders. And then he's like, oh, but it just fallen, just broken. And he's like, oh no, but there's more than that. And then he says, then he says some are actually uh, complicit and conscious in the decision that they make to be lost. And so, so all of us now can find our way to relate to this parable and say, all of us, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have been lost or are lost at this very moment in time. And now each of us can place ourselves in one of these three stories. Jesus building one parable at a time. And so then each, th each of the three have a different experience of that lostness. Not just three different whys, but three different experiences. First, you have the, the parable of the lost sheep. And so you have, I, I don't want you to think about the 99. I don't want you to think about what it means for, for, for the shepherd to leave the 99 and actually those 99 to be kind of on their own for a little while. I don't want you to, like, like, like when, we, when we isolate this parable, we talk about those sorts of things. I don't want you to think about those sorts of things. So if you've heard other sermons about the lost sheep, set them aside, right? I just want you to think about the connectedness of the three and think about the experience of lostness that that one sheep has. And then I want you to think about, about maybe a beloved dog that you have or that you have had. Uh, because I'm assuming most of you have not had a sheep. Uh, and so, and so since, since, you, since you, we don't have a whole bunch of sheep herders in the congregation, I need you to think about a dog because maybe most of you could experience that dog. And I want you to, uh, there, there's that moment when a dog is lost or at least my experience has been that there's a moment when a dog is lost that the dog begins to panic a little bit. I mean, at first they're like totally content and like digging being lost and they're like in the lake and, uh, and they're not supposed to go in the lake because they're supposed to be on the leash, but instead they're in the lake and they're not supposed to be in the lake uh, and they're getting muddy and they're loving it and they're, they're totally digging this lost experience. But then, then there's this moment where it kind of clicks. Maybe it's because it begins to get dark or maybe it's because they see other animals that they haven't seen before or that they've previously been, been protected from. And so there's this panic that sets in. This kind of wandering, this wandering, this now this wandering that was just innocent becomes this wandering that is uh, panicked. Jesus says in John uh, chapter uh, 15, uh, actually, I mean chapter 10, verse 27, he says uh, that uh, the sheep know my voice because I am their shepherd. And, and I think about that kind of moment of click for this panicked, lost, wandering sheep who then has 
the shepherd speak out the sheep's voice, uh, the sheep's name, and the sheep hears his voice. You have this lost coin, this lost coin who, uh, who doesn't know it's lost, but, but, but what is the experience of lostness? The lostness uh, is an experience of two things, darkness and light. That's what we have here because, because the, the scripture says, Jesus' parable says that, uh, that it is dark and so the, the, the woman sweeps up and then the woman lights the room and shines the light all over the room so that there's been this experience of darkness and now there's this experience of light. And, and what, is, what does that mean for someone who is lost to be brought into the light? And then, and then finally, the, the experience of lostness for, the, for the, the son who's been conscious and complicit in their own lostness. Uh, what's interesting about what, what happens for him is he has to go through a spiraling experience of brokenness and ugliness until he finally hits rock bottom. It, it, you know... He hits the rock bottom below the rock bottom below the rock bottom where he is sitting with pigs stealing their food. That's one that, that, that he could have never imagined. This, this favored son with this huge inheritance, this, this one who has been uh, uh, wearing robes and rings and, and carrying the name of the father in every circle he's ever lived in. And then he loses it all and has to be hired as a hired hand and then he's starving and he's famished and he's sitting around eating pig slop. So his experience of lostness is totally different. And each of you have had a different experience of lostness. Some of you hit rock bottom. I've actually talked with some of you, some of you who... who who, who've shared with me what your rock bottom looked like, what, 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 your, what your absolute depravity and brokenness looked like. And you've told me that, that, that your experience was, was so profound that you don't know if, if, if you would have ever been found if you wouldn't have been absolutely lost. And, and, and then... Some of us have, 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 have been praying for some of your friends or for some of your family members or for, for some of your neighbors. And, and some of you have shared with me that, that you don't know if your friend will ever experience the graceful relationship that you have with Jesus unless they hit rock bottom. I've actually had some of you pray with me that your friend would hit rock bottom. And maybe some need that. And maybe that's why Jesus shared these three different stories. Some, it just takes light in the darkness. Others, it takes hearing the voice of the shepherd and experiencing that panic and that realization of lostness. And then for others, it requires a rock-bottom sort of experience for lostness to set in and a willingness to follow the Father out.
I place Jesus at the position of the one seeking in this story, and I think it's because Jesus is the one that is sitting and gathering with tax collectors and sinners, those that sin and those that are assumed to be sinners. And so, so, so if you, you would go with me there as I insert Jesus into, this, into these three parables, I, I think about what, what this seeking looks like as well. What this reaching out, what this outpouring, what, what this pursuing looks like. First, for the lost sheep, this is, this is something you, you, you might have heard before, that, that Jesus seeks others with reckless abandon. And sometimes we might be, be the ones that, 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 that might feel that abandon because Jesus is always pushing out always going beyond, always trying to find that one that's lost. And, and so, so willingness to lose it all for the sake of one. But then Jesus n- nuances that, that seeking when he puts right behind the lost sheep, the lost coin. Because you see what happens in the lost coin. There's a woman that has 10 coins. And, and I imagine those 10 coins in her very hand. And one falls out and, and, and rolls around. Clang, 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 clang. Can't find it. Totally dark. And, and, the, and the woman actually seeks, as I have it in my spiritual imagination, seeks for the one while holding on to the other nine. So that that entire time, she's diligent. She's working on that. On, on, on that pursuit faithfully, but she's holding those nine close to her the entire time. Then finally, that position of seeking of the Father, which puts this in a very different perspective, right? With the lost sheep, leave 99, go after one. The lost coin, hold on, and pursue but with the son who's left his father and gone out into into the world to pursue desolate living the scripture says the father sits back and waits on the porch and looks out on the horizon day by day can't imagine how many times that father prayed for his son. How intense and emotional and full of fervor those prayers were. Not knowing where his son was. Not knowing what his son was experiencing. But all the while looking out with hope. An audacious hope that his son would begin to walk up that drive. It's a totally different image of seeking. And it's one absolutely filled with a spiritual yearning and hungering for reconciliation to be known by his son who he so deeply loves. There's one more thing that I want you to see as a, as, as, a, as a parallel between the three. And it's one that we each know 
and have experienced in, in, in a unique way. And, and, and it's that, that there's an intimacy in the finding in each of the three. Okay, so for, for the first, for the lost sheep, it, it says that the lost sheep is found and, and, and is scooped up into the shepherd's arms. And then it says this, it says that the shepherd scoops him up and puts the sheep actually physically on his shoulders. So the shepherd now uh, cannot lose the sheep again. It, it's, it's as though the shepherd is so uh, going to cling to the sheep that the sheep cannot separate itself. There's no more wandering here. It, it's an absolute embrace of the sheep. And so and, and, and I imagine, how far did the shepherd have to walk carrying physically the sheep back into the fold? You know, I have a, um, when Laura and I were, were dating, we uh, moved to Atlanta, Georgia right after uh, we got married. And... Uh, and she didn't have a job yet, and I was beginning school, and she was searching, and we decided, well, uh, in this in-between space, we needed a dog. Uh, we did. We needed a dog. And so we went and we bought a black lab, which is the perfect dog for anybody that wants six years of infancy uh, in your lives. Uh, a lab is a big baby for years. Uh, well, well, Scout, uh, Scout is our black lab, was our black lab. Um, Scout was 98 pounds and could uh, uh, put his paws on your shoulder and just stand up and loved to just bear hug you, right? You, you would come home, he would jump up. He had no discipline. We were not good disciplinarians. We were very poor parents. And uh, he would jump up on you, pause on the shoulder, and just embrace you, right? And I remember, um, I, have to, I have to just fast forward really quick. You could ask me why later. He was kind of neurotic, particularly in storms. And when we had little kids, things went crazy. So my sister ended up getting Scout and caring for him because she uh, didn't have kids yet. And so anyway, long story short, my sister had Scout. See, uh, by the way, my, my staff tells me about the clock, and I need to watch the clock and stay on time. And so that's why I fast-forwarded that story. So, uh, so, so Scout, um, Scout's now with my sister Sarah, and, and uh, a few years back, we were over at her house, and I hadn't seen Scout in four years, and Scout at that point was 12 years old, and as labs go, you know, hips are starting to be all wonky and everything is getting all messed up. And, uh, and we walk in the door and he like perks up and gets his hips in place. And I greet my sister and I give her a big old hug. And here comes Scout running at me. And I say Scout. And at 12 years old, Scout jumps up on me and gives me a huge bear hug. And Sarah begins to cry. It's my, my sister who's been caring for him. Because he's in his final days and he hasn't had the energy to get up in months. But when he heard my voice, he wanted to 
experience that embrace. Do you know the warmth of that embrace? The power of that embrace? For the woman with the coin, the coin was scooped up in her hand and she needed to celebrate. But then, then for the father and the son, you see the father who's been sitting on that porch for years looks out in the distance and finally sees his son off in the distance. And I, I, I imagine it's, it's like the father says, I know that gate. I know, I, I, I know my son anywhere. Even far off in the distance, I know him. And what's the father's response? What's his reaction? He gets down off of the porch and he runs out the driveway and runs down the street. And I imagine the two just meet and, and, and the father opens his arms wide. And I, I imagine they just crumble to the ground in a wholehearted embrace filled with all the pain and the loss and the struggle, but most of all, filled with love. Most of all, filled with love. And in that embrace, I think, is embodied for us the reason why Jesus eats and meets with tax collectors and sinners. You see, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they just saw the brokenness. Jesus saw the repentance. They saw the hopelessness, and Jesus saw the hope. They saw the lostness, and Jesus saw what it would be when they were found. Jesus was looking forward to what this embrace would look like and feel like and be like, and they were so wrapped up in their own minds that they couldn't get out of the way. Jesus saw home. His children coming home. What would it be for us who've all been lost at one point or another to participate with Jesus in that very embrace? welcoming others in with our whole hearts. May it be so.